Hello and welcome to the Energy Detox, coming to you today from underneath the David McCullough Bridge in Pittsburgh. And I chose today's location not to honor David McCullough, who died one year ago yesterday. Although, if you don't know David McCullough, he is certainly worthy of uh, such an honor, having uh, been a prolific writer of history and uh, his first book, of course, being the Johnstown Flood. But instead, today I'm honoring a different David and a different bridge and a different city and a different flood of sorts. And the David that I'm honoring today is David John Matthews, who you might know uh, more colloquially as Dave Matthews, as in the Dave Matthews Band. And the bridge I'm honoring is the Kinsey Street Bridge in Chicago. And the flood I'm honoring you might know as the great Dave Matthews Band bridge incident of 2004. And before I give any extra color on that bridge incident, I do want to warn you, the audience, that this is likely to be the most toxic, the most nauseating of all 80-plus episodes of the Energy Detox. So if you're a little bit squeamish, you may wish to uh, turn this off uh, right now and, and maybe settle for uh, the next episode. But if you're still with me, then allow me to enlighten you as to the details of the great Dave Matthews Band incident of 2004. And that is when Dave Matthews, on this day, 19 years ago, had his band in Chicago and one of the five tour buses they had, well, the driver of that bus decided to go out for a drive and unload the contents of the Blackwater tank, the onboard septic tank, basically, through the grate of the Kinsey Street Bridge into the Chicago River below. And as far as uh, from an engineering standpoint, I want to make clear that in Chicago, several of their bridges are great style. So it's not like the bridge uh, above me here where uh, if there is a leak of any sort, I'm not going to be impacted. In Chicago, they have several bridges that have grates, which is great from an engineering standpoint, because if it rains or snows, then the water or the snow goes right through down into the river. And, you know, the city doesn't have to worry about containment or any of that. Well, in this particular case, again, if you're still with me, there is good news because if you happen to be in the environmental world and perhaps in the water treatment world or the water management world, and perhaps you're one of the people in town in Pittsburgh tomorrow for the Marcellus Water Conference, well, again, you might be a little bit squeamish thinking about the, uh, all the ramifications of dumping human waste directly into the river. But I have good news for you because there was containment under that bridge that day. And very little of the material, in fact, actually made it into the river. Unfortunately, though, the containment that was underneath that bridge happened to be an open-air tour boat that just happened to be passing underneath the bridge at the exact moment that the driver of that tour bus decided to discharge all of that waste down below the Kinsey Street Bridge. And on that tour boat were about 120 people who were about 15 minutes into an architecture tour. So no doubt they were looking up, gazing in amazement at all the architecture of Chicago when, again, much to their surprise, they were covered, or at least two-thirds of them were covered, were soaked with, again, 800 pounds of human waste. And again, if you're still with me, you're still probably wondering why I'm honoring this anniversary today. Well, it's because you quite likely, every single day are unwittingly releasing, dumping some amount of toxicity, some amount of waste out into your audience, if you will. Maybe it's not as dramatic as the 800 pounds of human waste that were dumped on those sightseers that day, but no doubt 
whether it's to an audience of one or to an audience of tens of thousands, you are injecting some nausea, some toxicity, some things that are going to make some people's stomachs really turn, whether you realize it or not. So today, we're going to help you be more alert and aware of those times. And more importantly, we're going to help you mitigate those times where there is a, uh, a nauseating release of sorts and you need to figure out the best path forward to rectify it, to remediate it, and to move on. And so without further ado, I'm going to list out five tips, five tricks, five mindsets that you can use that I've seen in practice when it comes to toxic and in particular nauseating communication. And the first of those tips is to simply avoid communication dumps. Avoid communication dumps that are in particular a surprise to your audience. And again, nothing is going to be as surprising as those 120 uh, passengers on that boat that day, but how often does an email go out in the middle of the night with very little context and certainly no explanation for whether that request is urgent or not? That is a toxic dump of sorts that can leave your audience nauseous. Or on a much grander scale, how often does some large corporate communication go out that doesn't have an explanation, that doesn't explain in detail some of the questions that you might expect your audience to ask? And what does that do? That induces toxicity and might make people's stomach turn a little bit, whether it's out of nausea or whether they simply roll their eyes because of the, uh, the relatively cliche or uh, say nothingness of an email that may have been really, really long, but again, didn't necessarily convey anything of value. All of those are examples of toxic communication dumps that lead to your audience becoming nauseous. So the first tip here is avoid them whenever possible. Ask yourself if it's necessary. Again, the most basic, if not cliche example is if you don't need to send an email out in the middle of the night, don't. Send it out later. Or if you're sending out an email or you're making a phone call or you're in a meeting and you're talking about a task and you can give a little bit of color or context instead of just shouting out different facts or requests, Take that time so that, again, your audience isn't caught off guard or isn't left feeling nauseous. The second tip is related to containment. So we just joked a little bit ago that uh, fortunately there was some good containment underneath the Kinsey Street Bridge that day, 19 years ago today, albeit, again, in the form of a tour boat. But what kind of containment do you have in place to ensure that when there is some sort of release of information that could be potentially toxic, that it's contained, that it doesn't move forward. And again, a perfect example of this that I see all the time in my coaching and saw in my former life is when there's rumors and hearsay about acquisitions or about layoffs or about budget cuts or about shifts in a development program. Those rumors and hearsay, of course, you know, have the ability to proliferate. But unfortunately, many leaders don't have the guts to stomp it out quickly, to contain it. And you know, a lot of those leaders, they'll, they'll acknowledge it to me. They'll say, yeah, I know it's out there. Well, what are you doing about it? And typically, the best thing you could do from a, a frontline leader standpoint is to basically arm your frontline leaders and tell their people to cut it out. Stop it. They're not going to stand for the proliferation of rumors and hearsay. And certainly, if they're the ones proliferating this rumor and, and causing this toxicity, if not nervousness and, and agita and, and nausea, well, again, there's going to be severe ramifications. But it's amazing how long those things continue to trickle and flow without being contained. And again, part of that sometimes is that perhaps the leaders at the top aren't aware of those rumors and hearsay. But uh, again, by and large, when faced with the question of whether they suspected there may have been some rumors or hearsays that needed to be contained, by and large, leaders will admit that, yeah, they, they suspected as much. But they failed when it came to containment. 
Moving on, the third tip, trick, piece of advice is to put in some filtration of sorts to identify the language and the actions that you're taking that might be viewed as nausea-inducing, as toxic. And again, with, as I said earlier, the Marcellus Shale Water uh, Meeting Conference in town about six blocks away from where I'm standing right now, it's a good time to talk about filtration because there's plenty of water management personnel that use filtration as a way to, again, remove the stuff that you don't want flowing elsewhere. But what can you do as an individual, whether or not you're a leader or you're just, you know, again, a, uh, an employee who has to communicate with others? What kind of filters can you put in place to make sure that that nausea, that that toxicity doesn't flow? Well, here's one. Look at your outbox right now. Take a look at all the messages that you've sent in the last 24 hours and go through with a filter of sorts. Give it a rating system from, say, 1 to 5, where 5 is the most nausea-inducing. Think, again, the Dave Matthews Band River incident of 2004, and 1 is maybe the, the low end of the spectrum. But again, I don't think any corporate email, any corporate communication is going to come without any nausea, right? That's sort of the nature of the beast. So uh, we're going to say that you can't really achieve a zero. There's always going to be some, some necessary pleasantries that, again, might turn some people off. You're always going to turn some people off, but again, rank it one to five, whether it's emails, again, text, communications, get out of a meeting. How nausea inducing were you? Take a look at this podcast. Instead of leaving a review and rating it one to five stars, go ahead and add in the comments or on LinkedIn or YouTube or wherever you happen to be watching this. Go ahead and take that uh, vomit emoji and, and give this from a scale of one to five. You know, how nausea-inducing am I right now? Is it a five or am I on, on the lower end of the spectrum? I love your, your feedback, uh, albeit uh, even if it's in a, uh, a uh, vomit emoji form. So again, that is something that you can employ every single day. A filter, ideally before the fact, but worst case scenario after the fact, to analyze how nausea-inducing your communications are. The fourth tip flowing from there is when you identify communications that may potentially induce nausea, ask yourself how you can translate it. And again, this is something that plays at every level of an organization. If you're a CEO and you see some proposed communication, stop for a second and ask whether it actually communicates the message or if it's, again, a bunch of fluff. You have that authority. But so too, if you report up through the chain and you see some proposed communication or communication that comes through and you want to, again, rectify it, you want to address it, you know it's going to be a problem for you, ask yourself how you can translate that corporate speak, that consultant speak, into something that's actually going to resonate and make a difference and stick with people instead of causing them to uh, regurgitate in a not-so-pleasant way the corporate messaging and the, the nice-sounding pleasantries that company may have spent uh, a lot of time and energy and money uh, having people write, even if those messages don't actually convey clear, bottom-line, actionable messages. And the fifth and final tip, if you will, today is if you make a mess, clean it up. Again, in the oil and gas industry, we know full well that if there is a spill, if there is a release of some sort, we are going to take ownership. There's going to be ramifications. We're going to clean it up, and sometimes that's financial. It's always going to involve some sort of action, but we take ownership. Clearly, it should be no different when, and again, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when you, consciously or unconsciously, share some sort of communication or some action that is nausea-inducing. And again, this doesn't just have to pertain to company emails or text messages or town halls. This can pertain to your LinkedIn messaging, right? Whether it's corporate messaging or your own private uh, LinkedIn account. 
use those tips from above. Look at that filter, ask how you can translate it, and occasionally if something gets out there that doesn't make a lot of sense, act quickly, act with authority and ownership and confidence, and clean it up. Dave Matthews Band, eventually, when they conceded that, yes, it was one of their tour buses, obviously, they took action. They made some donations to some river protection folks. Obviously, the bus driver, who made a very bad decision, he faced ramifications. It should be no different in your own world when it comes to potentially toxic or at least nausea-inducing communications. So with that, hopefully this episode, as queasy as it may have made you feel at the beginning, uh, inspired you to, to go back through to better filter, to be on better guard against potentially toxic and nausea-inducing conversations. And hopefully, again, even if the actions you take and the communications you have aren't as bad as 800 pounds of human waste falling immediately and, and suddenly on uh, an open-air tour boat, at least do what you can to avoid leaving a bad taste in the mouth of your stakeholders. So with that, thank you as always for tuning in to the Energy Detox. Again, perhaps the most toxic of all 80 plus episodes of the Energy Detox. And with that, I hope that you have a wonderful day, a great day, and that uh, nothing uh, even close to what fell from the sky on that August 8th, 2004 day in Chicago uh, happens to you today. So with that again, thanks again and bye-bye.